0: Today, I have a couple of objectives today. First is to introduce a confession of faith in a fresh way. As a pastor, I want to show you the great things of God, but I cannot forget how I got here. So as great as that confession of faith is, not everybody is able to take it. So I've been thinking, what would be the best way? And I thought, probably the best way would be not delving into a theological side of the confession, which is really deep and sometimes confusing, but a practical side. So as I was studying it, I thought about doing This the chapter that you see today of marriage and divorce to show you uh, how to use the confession and how we could benefit from it. But also, I found in my calendar that June is now LGBTQ plus Pride Month. I was not aware of it until I saw it on my Google calendar that I subscribe and it shows all the you know, holidays. I don't know if this is holiday or not, but LGBTQ, I mean, we are aware of it. But it said plus. There was a plus sign. So I said, what is that plus? I could guess what it is. It is more than LGBTQ, plus whatever else is out there. And it is not there, it's not simply there, it stops, LGBTQ+, but Pride Month. So, I want to talk about the confession, the backgrounds, or something like that, while my memory is fresh on it. But not everybody, once again, is up to the task. Uh, but as I was thinking about the marriage chapter, and I also noticed that LGBTQ Pride Month I thought, why don't I talk about this today? So I looked it up, I googled it to see what that plus will include. Last time, a couple years ago, when I read a book and things like that, transgender was a big deal. And we thought same-sex marriage is already out of date. A new thing was, transgender And one thing about the secular fallen culture is that things go out of fashion very fast. So I was thinking about transgender. Okay, I need to talk about it a few times in church. But plus sign includes now these things. And let me just briefly talk about it before we talk about marriage and divorce. In that category, they now include a lot more and one a few things that I've noticed is this agender. Not transgender, but agender, like atheist. So, agender would include genderless people. Genderless people. Okay, that's agender. Bigender. Bigender is a gender identity where the person moves between feminine and masculine gender identities and behaviors, possibly depending on context. So, the person could go either way, by gender. Gender variant is a behavior or expression by an individual that does not match masculine or feminine gender norms. Pangender pan people are those who feel they identify as all genders. I don't know how many genders they have in vocabulary. I mean, there are a couple of genders only, but all genders, pan-gender, a-gender, bi-gender, I mean, transgender is long past. And there's something called two-spirit. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. Two-spirit. Now we move beyond gender, but spirit, two-spirit, people within indigenous communities who are seen as having both male and female spirits within them. It's not even now gender anymore, it is now whatever spirit. Okay, two-spirit people. There's another category for the people who are questioning their identities so questioning people so i am sure by next year if i look it up again there will be many more categories within that plus sign and u.s state department made news that they will include x gender marker as an option in the passport. So now this is not a fringe movement and it has now come into the mainstream. So, uh, what should we do? All these confusing new categories are not, from my perspective, first and foremost philosophical or even physiological. What is driving that? The whole movement is their sexual drive. I mean, you need to see it that way. Unbridled sexual self-expression as I see fit. So I'm sure there are people who are talking about this in purely psychological or philosophical terms vast majority of people simply they want to express their sexual drive and desire in whatever fashion they want to. So I was just thinking about this because this is June LGBTQ plus Pride Month. And I was thinking about just doing marriage and divorce. And obviously, the Bible does not talk about all these gender issues. But gender, sexuality, family, they are all clearly defined explicitly or implicitly by the Word of God. So I was thinking about this, and our first impulse is to study all these narratives and people, movements. But I don't think so. We cannot chase after the counterfeit all the time. And we simply need to know the authentic, God-given blueprint. And you know that by studying the very basic premises of God's Word. Now, before we delve into this Text, I just wanted to make it clear that how can we as a church as our size, which does not have Wednesday service, afternoon service, or any other services or venues to conduct uh, conferences and things like that, how can we can, can we catch up with this kind of um, um, whatever worldview issues that we could talk about. I think one way that we could do is to, for me to blend. You know how I usually approach the biblical text. We read it, I explain it, we apply it to our lives. And I practice what is known as expository preaching. But also, as I was listening to Carl Truman's lecture, he says you could blend in, blend lecture slash Sunday school material slash sermon. That is the only way I thought about. Because you cannot forever talk about in sermon, the series of sermons, to talk about all these issues. But we have to make that judgment For how long? For what topics? So I just want you to know that in coming weeks I may uh, show more of, for example, how can I talk about the background of the confession, which will help so many people in our church, other than kind of a lecture form. Here too, as we talk about marriage and divorce, this is but a showcase to all of you. That we are not, in our tradition, we do not preach from the confession. Because confession is not God's word. Uh, So I just wanted to make that clear that my intention today is not to preach from the confession as if that's God's word. But it is not. But what is it? It is a summary of the Bible. For example, if I ask you, what do you know about marriage? That is taught in the Bible. Topic of marriage. Because we are facing. Let's say LGBTQ plus pride month. And your child asks you that that question. How can we talk about this? Bi-gender. A-gender. Whatever gender. We point them to God's word. But not every one of us. We possess. The full picture. So that's why this could be a helpful uh, instrument for you to go and read and study and explain what Bible teaches about such topics. So, if you would turn to that text today, I supplied some of the proof texts because I did not want this to be simply reading of the Confession but to point you to those texts where People who wrote this are saying, you know, I'm saying this because Bible says this in this passage, in that passage. So first thing that we learn from reading the confession about marriage is that first paragraph says marriage is to be between one man and one woman clearly defined by God's word. It is not one man and multiple women, vice versa, but between one man and one woman. Simple as that. If you do not have Bible as your authority, you just don't have anything else to argue for your position other than the tradition. So marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Neither it is lawful for any man to have more than one wife, nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. So we read a couple of passages. First one is obvious one, Genesis 127. If you study theology, it's just amazing how much depends on Genesis 1 to 3. Image of God, God's creation story, really is a solution to what we face in this day and age. So we read, we read in Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. That's the dignity part. In the image of God, he created him. And here it is. Male and female, He created them. The word is not really men and women, though that is the case. But the translation is correct. Male and female, He created them. So, with that, LGBTQ+, and all the genders that they list, as Bible-believing Christians, we should say, according to the Genesis, God created man in his own image, both men and women, and therein lies the dignity of human beings. And there are no racial distinctions, but there is male and female, two distinct categories that we could see the gender. There, there is no other gender that is described in the Bible. So, gender and birth sex are coterminous. According to the Bible, they are created and they are given or assigned at one's birth by God the Creator. You do not assign it yourself. You do not invent a third or fourth, whatever categories of genders that you think there is. And whoever you are, you do not have any authority to talk about all these issues. Let us not be fooled into thinking they are the experts because they wrote some books and they have some teaching posts. I looked it up, Word, Gender, um, just to see. And it directed me to WHO. I think it's a World Health Organization or something like that. And they have that whole page of our social shocked. This is not a professor or pundit or somewhere in the news. But this WHO, it defines gender in this way. Listen to a couple of sentences. Gender is a social construct. As a social construct, gender varies from society to society and can can change over time. says who? World Health Organization. Gender is a social construct. Varies from society to society and can change over time. Second sentence is this. Gender is hierarchical, and produces inequalities that intersect with other social and economic inequalities. Third sentence is this, gender norms are harmful. So telling boys to be boys and girls to be girls, it is harmful to say that. It is oppressive, why? Because gender is socially constructed. And as we have witnessed, there is no such thing as common sense. There is no such thing as traditional value anymore. So whatever the wind is, the zeitgeist is, whatever the mainstream media they talk about and, and, and they insist upon, it will change over time. And this is WHO speaking. We really do not have to study that, parse that, analyze that, but to, in Genesis 127, in single sentence, in single verse, God says everything that he has to say about gender, creation, Sex, birth, sex. At this point, I, I, I am this week, I've been struggling to see whether I should continue on this issue for the pa- coming few weeks or introduce confession or the backgrounds or how to use confession next few weeks. So that's something that I am struggling. Once again, you do not have to have a degree on these issues to talk with authority. Um, not saying it's easy to do in this day and age, but to fall back on God's word. So I'll simply leave the first paragraph, 24th chapter, in that way. Let's move on to the second paragraph. So what, what can you tell me about marriage, biblical marriage? Then you say, this really is a summary statement. And second paragraph says, marriage was ordained... By God. Marriage was ordained, created, and ordained by God for the mutual there are four things that they list. For the mutual help of husband and wife. And I was scratching my head because usually it is the husband who gets the help. It's the mutual help. And I was thinking, Oh, I need to help my wife more and better. So marriage was ordained for the mutual help. Okay, that's good. And Second one, for the increase of mankind population. All this gay marriage will not have anything to do with human life or the propagation of the mankind, flourishing of human society with people. They just don't care. That's not their objective. So the conversation has to happen As a society, there has to be some kind of consensus. And that is open. That discussion is open. But for us, marriage was for the mutual help, for the increase of mankind. And the third and fourth is this, third of the church with unholy seed. The covenant children that we are talking about. So Van Dixon comments on that section. What are the challenges that we face as married people? Protecting the next generation of holy seeds or the covenant children should have the greater weight upon this modern marriage that is so prone to go split ways and, and have a divorce. So of the church with unholy seed. If you would just think about church. The vast majority of church, people of God, where do they come from? It has been my experience, and I don't think it's too different from you, that vast majority of Christians in the church, uh, by the grace of God, they are who they are because they grew up in a church. Holy seed. Yes, there are convergence, and God continues to do that, but that's not the majority. majority of a church consists of that holy seed, and that's one of the reasons why God ordained marriage. And the last one is this: For preventing of uncleanness that is talking about sexual immorality. So if you would go to that 1 Corinthians seven, passage that is written down. Read that with me in your heart. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. For what purpose? We are talking now in the context for the sexual activity. And let every woman have her own husband. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry then born with passion, lusts. So Bible in this section clearly defines that sexual activity is to be practiced and to happen within the boundaries of covenant marriage. So all that gender politics and the discussions that we witness in this generation actually not even generation, past few years, is really once again a point that to you, pointed out to you that people are not concerned about settling some kind of philosophical statement. But when someone says, I am attracted, same sex, I'm attracted to the same sex, What do they mean? I have this kind of a longing in my heart when I see the same sex? No. What they're talking about is I want to engage in my perversion of my activity. I I will just chase after whoever, whatever I want to. And I want full freedom and nobody can tell me what to do about my life. But again, Bible says, It is to be within the boundary of the lifelong covenant marriage and only within that boundary that sexual activity is to happen. So that's something that we learn. Third one is this. Let's go to third paragraph. It is lawful for all sorts of people to marry who are able with judgment to give their consent And the proof text was Rebecca in Genesis. Do you want to go? And she says, yes. Yes, it is the duty, yet it is the duty of Christians to marry only in the Lord. And I wanted to say this while we have some uh, young people during the summer here. Did you know that the Bible commands you to marry only in the Lord. Did you know that? Proof text F, if you read with me, is this. I was thinking maybe Second Corinthians six, unequally yoked would be the proof text. But the proof text is first Corinthians seven thirty-nine. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband be dead she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. So this is for the second marriage by the context. But that injunction is to be applied to with 2 Corinthians 6.14, which has been understood in the church, not simply business relationships, but marrying someone outside of faith. It is the duty of Christians to marry only in the Lord. I want you to remember that. But that would be the duty as long as your faith is alive and well. So our forefathers in the faith said in the confession, they wanted to teach the church. Okay, so what does that mean? What does it mean to marry in the Lord? And they said, And therefore, such as profess the true reformed religion, that is us, should not marry with infidels, papists, that would be the Catholics, or other idolaters. Neither should such as are godly be unequally yoked by marrying with such as are notoriously wicked in their life or maintain damnable heresy. True Reformed religion, if you profess, if you know what you believe, why you believe, and you appreciate God's grace in you by placing you in a Bible-believing, confessional church, then you should marry basically Reformed people. I'm sure you have seen in your life enough of your friends and family members who grew up in the church not marrying within that bounds. Over and over again I've seen it in the church and it just, my conclusion was, it really has to do with your faith. And when you marry outside of this Faith, headaches, heartaches always follow. You marry someone that you want to spend rest of your life together with that person, but that person does not share your same worldview. Every weekend, he or she is after golfing, climbing, hiking, vacationing. It's not going to work. You are not. Con- you are not going to come to church. To satisfy your husband or wife. Usually, we say, you know, by marrying the non believer, I would like to evangelize that person, bring that person into the fold of Christ's ship. And, and that, yes, that desire is an, an honorable thing. But it rarely happens. You cannot underestimate your own corruption sinful nature. So it is my prayer that those of you younger people, singles, to marry in the Lord, basically you have to hang out in the church. You have to serve in the church. You have to go to missions, mission trips with, with the church and participate in holy activities with, within the church. And our only struggle is that we just do not have enough people um but i want to I wanted to press that, I believe in this paragraph, uh one to three they are of very practical for all of us. Mary in the Lord. Now time is running out so i am not going to talk too much about 4 5 and 6 all the lists that i've looked up that plus sign only thing to me that is not there is incest and relationship or ships with animals that that they are not there yet but I was thinking, with this pace, you know, the um, Star Wars, if you watch Star Wars, they have all kinds of creatures in the, you know, animals and humans mixed together and all of that. Maybe the advance of science and all of that is happening. We probably are not far removed from that, seeing that happening. God forbid. But incest and all of that is talked about in the Bible. Leviticus 18, you go ahead and read it. And no matter what the society believes, we confess it cannot be made lawful by any law of man. Number five and number six basically talks about, they talk about what gives just occasion for dissolving a marriage. So if I quiz you today, what does the Bible say about divorce? What can give someone just cause to, to break up that marriage? If you read paragraph 5 and 6 with all the footnotes, you will find there will be only two occasions. One will be what? Adultery? Second one will be what? Willful desertion: basically leaving a spouse and moving away. When this was written in uh, 1640s, English law didn't have any provisions for common people to divorce. And I've read it. Sometimes the recommendation was to wait, because this was a seafaring people. They went to the ocean. And what happens when you go to the ocean? They don't come back. You don't know what happened to your husband. Then how long should you wait? And you are remarried and that dad husband shows up. All kinds of things in that, that the 1640s. But 5 and 6, especially 6, it talks about divorce shouldn't happen quickly. It has to involve church. They talk about civil magistrate. But now we have no-fault divorce in this land. So all of that you could think about what Bible passages that, that they are referring to. So today I am done. A lot more can be said about gender issues, sexuality, but my point is simple. The Bible is sufficient. And the conversation with outside of church would be very hard, and younger generation, they are under so much pressure. And I understand if you, if you go to work, to talk about these things is a suicide for so many of you. So I understand the pressure that is placed upon you. But let the church continue by faithfully holding on to the Word of God and use the confession uh, in such a way, like today. It gives you some kind of a you know, big picture. And you could use this as a springboard to study farther. And And you fight that war, but you have to come back to this citadel of marriage that God has given. Not everyone is going to marry, by the way. But all of that talk outside of church is aimed at destroying the family, marriage, and the church. So we need to be aware of that. May God have mercy upon all of us. Let us know and confess and live out God's truth. Let's pray.